0: Oftentimes, we can get to a place of complacency in the church. We can be very comfortable where we are, but God has challenged us as believers in the body of Christ to step out of our comfort zone and expand His kingdom. This series is about submitting to God's will and vision for the church, being completely dedicated, heart and soul. Good morning. Y'all look so perky. Who, who loved the extra hour of sleep last night? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah, if you didn't, man... God help you, because it was awesome. I love falling back. Not so crazy about springing forward. got to be honest about that, but I do love uh, getting that extra hour. So it was cool. Um, I hope we are here, and as Matt said, ready to hear God speak to us, um, that God would speak to our hearts. I believe he wants to speak to our hearts. Um, we're going to continue the Heart and Soul series, and, and specifically we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, and uh, this week, I'm excited. I'm excited about this week, because we get to talk about a subject that. Um, I guess the best way to put it is we love to talk about it and think about it, we just don't like to talk about it in church. Who knows what it is? Say it loud money yeah and so it's like everybody knew right because we we don't it's like it's almost like a a dirty little word in church and uh and i get that but we're going to be talking about that today second corinthians chapter eight uh and and here's the thing i think about and some of you i know you're visiting i know you're here and you're like you finally just decided to visit you're like oh great I would encourage you that probably what we need to do is sort of just remove a lot of the stuff we've learned in the past in church about giving and the way it's been approached and and, and, and generosity and how we think about it. Um, the, The good thing about talking about generosity and finances in church is it points directly at our heart. And and this is really a heart issue. It's not a money issue. And so we're going to talk about that um, and and going to see what God has to say to us about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, we're going to get there in just a second. But um, I do want to say that that I believe God has something to tell us. I believe God has something he wants to teach us um, through this. And so we're going to pray. We're going to jump in and we're going to see what God wants to tell us through his word. Lord, we thank you uh, for this morning. God, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, Lord. I, I pray, um, God, that honestly, Lord, we would take down walls that, that come up when we begin to think about this subject, Lord. And I pray that, um, God, you would just truly move in us today. Um, let us just celebrate and reflect on how generous you've been to us, God, through your son and through all the gifts you've poured out on us and let it become a place of worship in our lives, Lord. I pray that your word now um, would just be powerful as it always is, as, as you empower it, Lord, Um, through the power of your spirit. Lord, we love you and thank you for Jesus and thank you for your heart for us. His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I was thinking about this and thinking about how there's one thing that uh, kind of all families have in common. Every family is a little different, but there's something about families that is similar, and that is that there is a culture, there are values, um, there are different beliefs that shape what the way a family does things. It shapes the way families do things, like um, what they do, how they do it, when they do it, um, what they believe, what they won't do, what they will do, all of those things. Um, an example of this is my granddaddy my dad's side, he grew up really, really poor. And so he grew up very, very poor. And basically the way they lived is they grew food. Um, like he would plow behind a mule. I mean, it was like they were poor, right? They, they would grow their food. And basically if it would sit still long enough, there was a chance it was going to get eaten, right? And this is just how they were. It didn't matter what it was. And, um, for us, it probably sounds strange at times, but they would eat everything from a cow to a possum, right? I mean, it didn't really matter. Squirrels, if it would hold still, like they'd eat it. And so he grew up really, really poor. And that was sort of the culture that he grew up in. And so I remember as a child going over to my grandparents' house and you never actually knew exactly what you were eating. It was always good, but you always kind of had this suspicion of what actually is on the plate, right? And, uh, and, and all that works out great until um, back several years before I was born, uh, my mom and dad started dating, right? That's typically how it goes. And uh, they... They start dating and my mom goes over for like the first dinner with the family and they're eating and you know, she's trying to be polite and my grandmother, you know, sitting there and said, my mom's like, this is really, really good. What is it? And she said, oh, it's raccoon. And my mom was like, you know, and, and tried not to lose. But it was just part of my, my dad, my granddad's culture, that this is just what they did. And then on the other side, my mom, it was just different. And so we all have different backgrounds, different cultures in our families, but we all have um, beliefs and things that shape the way we raise our kids, the way we spend our money, the way we, we um, do things in our daily lives. And really and truthfully, churches are not really any different. There's cultures, there's beliefs, there's values that shape the way we do things that decide what we do, when we do it, how we do it, how we go about it, all of those things, um, that, that, that our values and our cultures, they all shape how we do things or what we do. And, um, I was thinking about this specifically in terms of certain cultures that the Bible speaks a lot about. Um, You can go back and read these scriptures later, um, but in Acts, we see several, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, we begin to see several different cultures that were very, very important to the churches. Um, For example, if you read in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41, you'll read about the first message that was preached. And Peter stood up and preached under the power of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people came to know the Lord that day. Um, and we were added to the number of disciples. How cool would it be to preach a message and see 3,000 people come to know the Lord? Absolutely incredible. And there was this culture that existed in this church of, of, of evangelism. And so the first culture that you see there is, is a culture of evangelism, this, this desire, this mission to go out and reach people with the gospel. Another one that you see very clearly, if you go to Acts chapter um, 42 through 47, um, over in Acts chapter four too. you see this very strong culture of community. And there's a very strong culture that bound them together. They were bound together by the Holy spirit. They were, um, Uh, surrounding this gospel message that had changed their lives and changed their heart and secured their eternity. And so they were running together in this community with this great message of God and they were bound together um, in that. The another one that you see in Acts chapter six, and you really see it all throughout the book of Acts as the believers would come together, is that there was this um, culture of serving and service to one another, laying down their lives for one another. They would, they would go and, and serve. And you see in Acts chapter six, where the apostles, the ministry began to grow. and and things began to happen and it was starting to take the apostles away from preaching and teaching God's word. And so they appointed some men to go and begin to basically distribute the food to those who were in need. And so you see a very strong culture of serving in different ways, the body being the body and each part doing what it does. And so they came and they served one another and they served the community. And then the, the, the fourth one that you see in there is there was a great culture of generosity. There was this culture of generosity that they gave what they had. They would come and sell Possessions. They would come and sell lands. They would do whatever it took to meet needs and to grow the kingdom. And there was this huge culture of generosity that they um, were a part of. And I'll be honest with you, um, what I see in our church, and this is not with everybody, but as a whole. And what I see in the church in America, typically, um, is that the weakest culture in the church is the, church of, uh, the culture of generosity. It's this value of being generous, not just um, to the church, but even out, outside the church that are we a generous people that we're giving of ourselves, we're giving of our finances, our resources to other people um, so that they too can experience the love of God, that it becomes a tangible way for them to experience that love. Um, in our church, I believe this, that God, um, as we've preached the word, has created a very strong culture of evangelism. We, we know that's why we're here, right? In fact, we joke around about like, you know, you go to Connection Church, if we won't leave until somebody gets saved. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we'll just stay. Like we'll be here at one o'clock and then somebody finally responds so that they can go eat lunch. You know what I mean? And so there's this, this sort of a joking around about the fact that we, um, we believe in this, that this is what we're called to do is to see people come to know Christ, to see them put their faith and their trust in him. Um, we've seen that happen as we've preached about it. We've talked about it. Um, and uh, the other one, of community. Very important. we got over 500 people right now who are in connect groups, which are our small groups. Not anyone need to get in one because they're doing life together. They're growing closer together and they're growing around the gospel. And they realize that this is the purpose of their life to spend it with God and spend it with each other. And, and, and out of that community, um, comes this great testimony to the reality of God. And that we've seen God, um, through the teaching and preaching of his word, create this great, strong community culture in our church. Um, the culture of service, as you walked in, you saw people in blue shirts. There blue shirts in here now. There are people in orange shirts in here now. I'm hoping that the orange shirt served at nine and you aren't supposed to be in there. Our kids are taking over the school right now. And, uh, so, but, but you have to, you, you look at that and you see all these people serving. You, you, you didn't see all the people who came and set up and, and served before you got here, but, and the people who will stay and take, take, take stuff down afterwards. But there's a culture, a strong culture of serving because we realized that Jesus served and we want to be like Christ and we're going to serve other people. And service too becomes a tangible representation to the world of the reality of God's love for them. As we serve people, it goes so countercultural to our world. And there is a very strong culture of serving in our church and it's growing and getting stronger and stronger. The one that honestly I feel like is the weakest in our church is a culture of generosity. We've had our moments. Our church has given, actually given a lot out. Um, by the end of the year, through one and one and through our regular budget, we will have probably given well over 10% of what we've taken in out. And we believe in that. We believe that's very important. Um, but as a whole, what we've seen is that that is the culture that seems to be lagging behind. And when one of those cultures lags behind and you don't have either the evangelism, the community, the um, community the service or the generosity, it becomes sort of a weight or an anchor that holds the rest of it back. It sort of becomes a lid on top of what the church could do and the people that the church could reach. And so any one of those four things can hinder the vision from taking place. What I hear all the time is, well, Jesus will supply every need we have. Absolutely. Most of the time he does that through us, right? And so we have to realize that God wants to use us to enable all four of those things to take place so that more and more people come into the knowledge of Christ. And so today we're going to look at and talk about this culture of generosity. If you have your Bibles, you can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read verses 6 and 7 to you. And then later we're going to go back and look at the other verses on either, either side of six and seven. But verse six says, and this is Paul. He's writing to the Corinthian church and he's talking to them about generosity. And what he's specifically saying is, listen, we need to bring our offerings to the house of God. We're going to take those offerings. He's taking up a special offering to go to the church in Jerusalem who are in some really, really hard times. Um, and he's saying, basically, you give this. I'm carrying it to them. And you'll bless them in chapter seven. We read about the Corinthian church coming to a place of repentance and they had they had straight away. Their hearts had had somewhat wandered from God. Paul wrote another letter that we don't have in the Bible, um, but that most scholars believe he wrote that was pretty to the point and pretty straight in your face and caused them great sorrow. But it caused repentance in their life. We read chapter eight after Paul recognizes the fact that they've repented. They've come back to God. They've gotten their hearts in the right place. And now we're reading in chapter eight. And it's Paul making this assumption in chapter eight. Now that your hearts belong to God, I assume that you'll be ready to give the gift that you promised you'd give in the first at the beginning. Right. And so there's this thing we see in this letter and in this chapter of repentant hearts, hearts that belong to Jesus become generous hearts. And so if you look there, um, in this text, he says, so we urged Titus, Titus was his, his companion. He sent him to finish this collection with the Corinthians. He says, so we urged Titus since he had earlier made a beginning to also bring also to completion this act of grace on your part but just as you excel in everything in faith and speech in knowledge and complete earnestness and in love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And so you see in the Corinthian church, actually this culture of, they were very gifted. They were doing some really cool things, but there was something that was lagging. And he's saying, come on guys, let's catch this up. Let's do everything that God's called us to do. I guess that would be my heart. And my plea to you today is that we ask God to change our hearts, to begin to work by his grace in our hearts that we could do and fulfill everything. Everything that God's called us to do, and so you begin to see that in chapter eight of Second Corinthians in verses six and seven. What I want to look at, um, though, is in the beginning here is why is it the weakest aspect of the culture of a church in the basically in the United States and and largely in the world? Why is that the weakest part of the culture of the world? I'll be honest with you. In our church, um, I put the blame on myself. Um, I have not taught it. I have not um, challenged you with it. And part of the reason I have done that is because if like you're standing behind a wall and every time you stick your head up above the wall, somebody punches you in the nose, like it doesn't take long and you don't stick your head above the wall, right? And and you kind of like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or every time like, like somebody walks up to you, they punch you in the stomach. It doesn't take long until you start avoiding that person. And I'm gonna be honest with you and I'll repent of this and tell you that I was wrong. I backed away from it somewhat. Because here's the reason. Every time I talk about it because it's so many people's gods and, and it, it, it points so straight at their heart, I can't tell about it every time, to be quite honest. But here's the reality. I realize this. I've got to be faithful to what the Bible teaches. And the Bible talks about money. It talks about generosity. It talks about materialism. It talks about giving more than heaven or hell. And we got to talk about this, people. Listen, we cannot become like Christ if we aren't generous. We're called to be like Christ. And so here's where really the rubber meets the road in a lot of ways. Why is it such a weak Thing in our lives. The first reason that I'll tell you is is it's weak. A weak culture in most churches because of church abuse, right? How many of you have ever been in a church that abused finances? Has anybody ever been in a church that abused finance? We've all seen it, right? We've all experienced, um, if we haven't, we've heard about it. You know, that's about all we hear about the church on TV is either the government telling the church they can't do something else or somebody stole money and ran off with the secretary. That's typically what we hear about church on TV. No wonder people don't do not trust the church. I don't know how many of you have seen the new um, series that's on TV, um, preachers of LA. Anybody seen that? Anybody watched it? Not many hands. Good. Don't watch it. Um, it's like you should go blow that up because it's basically about um these preachers and and basically what they're doing is they're profiting from the gospel. It's basically what most of it is. It's they're profiting from the gospel. For example, one of the lines in the promo for that for that show is the preacher preaching saying, "You've seen my Bentley and you've seen my glory, but you don't know my story." Right? I'm like, "You lost me at Bentley." You know? I'm like, that, that Bentley and Preacher don't go together. I mean, if they do, eh, something's up, right? And, and so uh, we, we, we've got all these stories. I, I heard and, and saw an article in the paper where, uh, about a pastor building a $1.7 million home. And, and he's, you know, it's not from church funds, it's from other things. But at some point, like, when is enough enough, right? Like, you could have built a $200,000 home, which would have been very nice, been very cool, and sent us the other 1.5, right? Like, send it on, you know what I'm saying? That's half of our, what we're trying to get to um, um, for this vision of one in one And so you hear about these things and they you see these spiritual abuses. And here's what it leads us to conclude about finances in the church. They want something from us more than they want something for us. And we conclude that. And so when we hear about it, we immediately shut down and we go, well, I don't know that preacher, he must just want to, you know, build him a castle. And I hear that all the time. Well, I give to build the kingdom of God, not a man's castle. The only thing that resembles a castle about my house is when it rains really hard. There is a ditch in the front. And it looks like a moat. That's about the only thing that resembles a castle around my house. And, and, and I love my house. But we have to ask the question, like, when is enough enough? When is it enough for us to live on? When is it enough that we have to have enough? And the reality of it Is that we don't want something from you, we want something for you. And one of the biggest things I want for you is to realize that your life is bigger than a dollar bill. Your life and your purpose for existence is to bring other people into the kingdom, it's not just to fulfill your wish list. I was talking to Dave the other day, and he goes, Well, Daddy, you know, money can't make you happy. I was like, You did not hear that from me. And he was like, Well, it can't. I was like, Then you're not spending it right, son. I don't even know where you're getting money in the first place, but you're, if you, money can make you happy, it can't make you permanently happy. That's the problem. We'll never find permanent joy apart from Christ. And the reality of it is, I want you to understand that we want something for you. We want you to experience the reality of God using you to change people's lives. That's what this is all about. That's what we're here for. But we can't do it until this culture of generosity begins to grow. It begins to grow. We want something for you, not from you. Listen. Today, one small example of that that we want you to see is you probably saw when you walked in, many of you probably noticed there's a table outside with a bunch of books on it. It's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. We want you to take a book. It is free, there's not like some kind of GPS tracking device in it so that we can know where you're at all the time. It's just a free book. It's, it's, it's one of the best books I've ever read on generosity. We want you to read it. We believe that it'll help transform your life. It's full of scripture and wisdom that comes from God. We want you to have a book. Just take it. If we run out of books, listen, we got a sign up sheet. You can sign up and we will get you a book. I promise. We want you to have it. Just to give it to you and take it and read it and, 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 and learn from it. And we want to give you that. It's just because we don't want something from you. We want something for you. Another thing that we, we want to give you is this giving challenge or this faith. It's really a faithfulness challenge. The Bible tells us in Malachi 3, we should test the Lord in, our, in his faithfulness with money. It's the only thing in the Bible that God says, test me on this. And we want you to see that he is faithful. It's a 90-day um, reading plan that we walk with you through. We're going to send you emails to encourage you. We're going to give you opportunities to take classes. Um, listen, listen. We want to walk through that with you. We want you to know that the Lord is faithful. We don't want people to be burdened and bothered and bound by this God of materialism. Another thing we want to give to you and not take from you, we're going to do a budget class next Sunday at nine o'clock here at the high school. You can sign up for that at Next Steps Table. Listen, we want you to come. We We want to be able to pour into you. For many of us, one problem is we don't even have a budget. We don't know how to make a budget. For many of us, it's been living by the budget. We want to help. We want to help you with that. My family, we we can make a budget. We just don't like to stick to it. And so we want to help with that. We want to help you walk in that. And also another step in that is financial coaching. Free, personal, one-on-one, one-on-family, whatever. Financial coaching. We'd love to help you. We want something for you, not just from you. Another reason that there's such a misunderstanding or, or the culture of giving and generosity is weak in the church is misunderstanding. For a lot of us, we've never been taught on. We don't, we don't really know what the Bible says. Um, so I need to tell you the classes, why we need to read the book, why we need to read the Bible, why we need to be in church, why we need to talk about it in church. We need to understand what scripture says. A lot of times it comes down to a once a year thing where we hear about it one time, two times, and then that's it. We need to talk about this, man. This is a tangible representation of Jesus to the world when we're generous with what God's given us. For a lot of us, it's been taught incorrectly. That's why I told you, you gotta kind of clear your mind and hear this from a fresh um, way and and hear it from God's spirit um, because there's a lot of teaching out there that's not true, that's not right. Um, The prosperity gospel, if you give him 10, he gives you 100. And then, you know, and here's here's the difference in the prosperity gospel, one of the difference in the prosperity gospel and the real gospel. The prosperity gospel says that you give, God gives back to raise your standard of living. The gospel says you give, God gives back more so that you can raise your standard of giving. That's the biggest difference, is that it's not so that I can build the bigger house, not so that I can have more. Listen, God wants us to have, he wants to bless his children, absolutely. I'm not telling you, you can't go like, you know, eat at Longhorn, you got to eat like Subway every day. I mean, I'm going to say, go eat at Longhorn if you can, but be generous while you're there, right? Be generous in every area of life. And, and so we begin to see like that God wants to raise our standard. He wants to give back. We won't outgive God, but He gives so that we can raise our standard of giving, make a greater impact in the world. One of the things that I run up against a lot and that I have conversations with people a lot about is thoughts on the tithe in the New Testament. And and I want to talk just a second about a few things with the tithe, because this is what we hear. Many times we hear people say, I no longer tithe because I'm under grace, not law. Um, Tithe means 10%. It means we take 10% of our gross, we bring it to the house of God, and and we give it to God um, as as uh, a tithe, and and then we bring our offerings also to the house of God. God, which is anything above a tithe. And people will say, I'm no longer under law. I'm under grace. Well, here's the thing I would say about that. And I do believe in the tithe. I do believe it's still um, something that we should do. Um, But I want to clarify it a little bit. One thing that I believe about the tithe and the Bible is very clear on is that the principle of tithing and first fruits preceded the law of tithing. The first tithe was given in um, Genesis chapter 14, hundreds of years before the law was given. It was something that pre-existed, um, the law. And so to say that we're not under law, listen, we're, we're actually called to fulfill the law, right? The, the Holy Spirit in us fulfills the law through us, right? And so we have to come to a place of realizing that this, this tithing principle, this principle of giving our first fruits to God so that we never worship the blesser over, or the blessing over the blesser is real. There's a safeguard to us. He gave us that to protect our hearts, but it preexisted the law of tithing. It was there before. Another one is this in regards to the tithe, that Jesus upheld the tithe in Matthew twenty three twenty three, 23. And he, he's, he's, he's getting on to the Pharisees. He's rebuking them. He's saying, listen, guys, here's the deal. You tithe out of your spice rack. You give down to the 10th of the, 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 the smallest things that you have. And yet you've neglected other important things like justice and loving your neighbor. He said, you should have done the former without neglecting the latter. And so what's he saying? Yeah, that Todd thing, that's important. That is still important. But the reality of it is, guys, listen to me. Remember, it's about your heart and not just about doing something for outward appearance. And so he's very clear that he upholds that. Another one is this, that Jesus never lowered a standard set by God in the Old Testament. He never lowered a standard set by God in the Old Testament so that murder became hate, Right? Jesus said, listen, listen, not just if you murder, but listen, if you hate him, you've committed murder in your heart. Adultery became lust. And so we began to see that he raised the standard. Even the sacrifice that was required in the Old Testament became greater in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed lambs and bulls and goats. In the New Testament, it was God's son. And so everything was elevated to another level. It's why I have a hard time believing that God would say, I'm gonna lower the standard now that you're under grace. No, it's God's grace in us that begins to fulfill the standards that he set as he works through us, not from our own strength and our own effort, but through his. Another one, the last one is this, that would God expect his followers filled with the Holy Spirit to be less generous than those who were not? Like as New Testament believers, as believers in Christ, we have been filled with the spirit of God. Would God look at us and say, all right, here's the reality. I don't expect very much from y'all because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. No, it doesn't even make sense. God has filled us with his Holy Spirit, giving us a new heart so that we would be able to give. I think that the New Testament is not as, it does not speak to the tithe as much Um, as the Old Testament, because I honestly believe that it is assumed that people who follow Jesus and are full of the Holy Spirit will desire to give more. And, And here's the thing I'll tell you is that for us, the tithe becomes the floor, not the ceiling. It becomes a starting place. And I know that's frustrating to some people because man, in the economy we're in, with some of the decisions we made, for many of us, We don't even understand. I don't know how I'll get there. This is what I would tell you. Just start somewhere. Start somewhere. Go to the budget class. Do some financial coaching. Sit down with somebody who can help you. Let us walk with you, um, walk with this or walk through this with you. Let us help you. But don't be bound financially in your life. That's not God's heart. God's desire is not that we would be bound by anything. No good loving father wants that for his children. He does not want that for us. The last thing I'll tell you that I think causes this in churches is a lack of transparency. I think a lot of times, you know, we're not real sure where the money's going. And so we kind of hesitate to give. We'd rather give it to somebody else that we can know exactly what's what's happening with it. And so we recognize that. So today, as you leave, um, if you go by our guest services table, there is a budget there that you can take. We print it out. I don't know, 30 or 50 copies, something like that. If we need more than that, we got a sign up sheet for that too. sign your name give us an email address, we'll get you one, right? Because we want you to see where it goes. This is what I would like to ask. If you can find a church that does what we do on the mount that we do it on, I need to know about them because I need to learn from them. Because I believe God does a tremendous amount with what we have been given. And I'm very thankful for that. But you can take it, go look at it, man. Seriously, take it and look at it, pour over it. If there's something you have a question about, let us know. We'll be glad to answer those questions. And so looking at those things, if you look at the church abuse, you look at misunderstanding about giving, um, you look at a lack of transparency in the church. Those are some of the things that cause us to, to, to have a weak giving culture. It causes it to be that dirty little word money that we don't want to talk about in church because of how we understand it and our mindset towards it and what we've seen happen with it. Here's the thing that I would like to look at now in the next last few minutes that we have is the rest of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, at least verses 1 through 9, and look at what causes us to become generous. Why would we become generous people? Because here's the reality, we're not born generous, right? We're not born wanting to 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 elevate someone else more than ourselves. I've said it a lot of times. Probably always say it. Ten out of ten people are selfish. It's just the reality of where we are. It's how we're born. We're born with a sin nature. It says preserve myself, and, and 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 to heck with everybody else. And so we're not really born desiring to be generous. So what causes it? Look at the first verse in Second Corinthians chapter eight. It says. Paul speaking to them says this, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. What word jumps out at you? And now and he's talking about money. He's talking about giving. He's talking about offering. And he says, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. What word? Grace. Grace. God gave him what? Grace. And I want you to understand that each of these things we're going to look at, it happens in our heart because God gave, God gave us grace, grace to transform our heart, grace to give us the ability to see things differently. Grace that gives us new desires as the Holy Spirit recreates our heart. And here's the reality. If we know Jesus, then our hearts have changed. They're being changed and we're growing closer to God It is a spiritual impossibility to come to know Christ and not begin to change. It just doesn't. Happen, God changes our heart. The first thing I would tell you though, that that, that you can write down about how grace transforms our hearts is this, that we recognize how much God has given and is giving us. That's one of the ways that grace begins to transform our hearts. He says, and this is about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. God gave them grace. They realize how much God had given them and how he is blessing them. We are a blessed people. And Paul is actually taking these Macedonian believers who had received God's grace and he's saying, listen, rec- they received this grace and he's really comparing the Corinthians and testing the Corinthians by them. And he's saying, listen, this is what happens and this is what happens. It's as we receive God's grace, our hearts are transformed from selfish and self-preservation. Pres- preservation <laughs> To hearts that 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 are generous and and love and and want to give, and so you begin to see this happening, and he he's basically saying when you see God's provision for us through Jesus, and that grace begins to change your heart, and you begin to say, I want to give, I want to do whatever I can do to reach the kingdom or to reach people and bring them into the kingdom of God. I want to give what I can. I want to give all I can. Some questions I would ask you is, how much has He given? all what did he give his best who did he give his son he gave everything what really belongs to him everything how much is his all of it what do we do with it whatever he says and we know that its purpose exists for the furthering of his kingdom we should be in light of god's grace in our lives the most generous people on the face of the planet And I don't think we'll fully ever really recognize all that he's done for us through his grace on this side of heaven. Um, But all of it belongs to God. The other day um, we went to the fair, I guess it was two weeks ago. Thank God that comes around once a year, right? Um, And uh, it's not that I don't like it. I had a good time with my kids there. But when I leave, I feel like I need a shower and a shot of antibiotic. I just feel like really dirty when I leave there. And so... Um, We go and and we have a good time at the fair and I hang out with Reed, my two year old, and it was awesome. But before we go to the fair, um, we get in the truck and I don't understand this because we have like a well in our backyard. And from that well, we can draw almost an endless supply of water, like more water than we could physically drink. Right. And, and, And it always happens this way that my kids, my family, they do not get thirsty until we get into the truck. And we see the time saver. And then we get in the truck and they're like, we are going to get something to drink. And so we pull down to the time. saver. we go in, date goes in, he wants a pack of gum. And so he gets this pack of gum and it's one of those packs of, like, of gum that like when you bite it, something squirts out in your mouth. I'm a little skeptical of that, right? You don't ever see it. You just it's like, mm, what's that? And so he gets this pack of gum. And and we go back, we get into the truck, and uh and, and and Reed's sitting in his car seat, kind of across from Dake. Reed's our two-year-old, Dake's our ten year old, and, and Reed's sitting there and he's like, I want a piece of gum. He says that in a baby voice, so I'm not even gonna try to imitate. And he says, I want a piece of gum, I want a piece of gum, I want a piece of gum. And he kinda had that look in his face, like, if I can get out of his car seat, I will take me a piece of gum. You better give me a piece of gum. And so he's sitting there and Dake um looks at him, and then Susan turns around, my wife, she turns around and she says, Um, I want a piece of gum too, Dake. And there were five pieces of gum in the this package and so Dave takes the gum that has the juice in it and tears it in half and he gives Reed a piece and he he gives my wife a piece right and so I'm sitting there and and Susan's like Dake, you better give me a piece of gum I'm like uh-huh you heard that voice you better give her a piece of gum and so and, and then I'm like Dave give her a whole piece of gum and he's like no this is my gum I was like oh no 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 I said. Who bought you that gum? And he goes, you did? I said, so whose gum is it really? Mine. I was like, no, wrong answer. It is my gum. And seeing as how you did nothing to earn it, and you really might not even deserve it, I don't see that it's too big of a stretch because you got to have a theology lesson when your dad's a preacher you to be generous with what your father has given you i don't want to give him my gum i didn't say it. i said give him the gum and so we had this whole thing going back and forth back and forth but i thought about it i was like that's such a good picture of what our heavenly father does with us he says i'm going to give you all of this you don't deserve any of it and you know what i'm going to ask you to do i'm going to ask you to be generous with what wasn't yours and what you didn't deserve in the first place yeah that makes sense it sure is okay. I'm here to steward it. I'm the conduit by which you give it out through the world. It's not that I'm a dam to stop it with me. It's that I'm a conduit from which it flows through. And so I'm given so that I can give. And, and if, if it increases, I give more. And it's just what we see God do. It's how God works. Our father loves us and he's blessed us so that we can give to other people. We can give to the church. We can bring our first to the church and then we can be generous in all of our life, right? And so we see this concept that when we realize how much God's given, man, it changes our hearts. That grace begins to change our hearts and we too begin to be generous. Verses two through five, listen. Out of the most severe trial, so Paul's talking about these Macedonian believers, comparing them to the Corinthians, and he says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. There's some words that just don't go together, right? And in our minds, there's some words that do not go together in that verse. And it is severe trial, overflowing joy. Like you don't typically think. And extreme poverty, rich generosity, right? Those words just don't go together. But here's the thing that the grace of God had taught the Macedonian believers is that we'll never find enduring and lasting joy in our wealth and in what we have. And he's saying, even though they were in poverty, man, they, they, they were joyful. Even though they were in poverty, they were generous. And it teaches us that generosity has nothing to do with wealth. It has to do with our heart. They were giving, listen to how they were giving. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They gave... More. What they do, they sacrifice. There was sacrificial giving, and I'll tell you this: this one-in-one jar. We talked about these jars a few weeks ago. This one-in-one jar, this that you heard about in the announcements. You've been hearing us talk about it of raising 1.5 million dollars for missions and for planting churches and for going and reaching people who don't know Christ and planting a campus that will be a place from which we scatter, not just a place that we gather, but a place that we send people out into the world. It's going to take sacrificial giving. There's absolutely no way this is going to be accomplished apart from sacrificial giving. I'll tell you this, there's no way it's going to be accomplished apart from a miracle of God. It's not going to happen. Unless a miracle of God happens and he moves in our hearts and we become a people who just become generous and who we say, yes, I'm on board. I'm ready to go. Let's rock and roll. Let's get moving. Let's let's do whatever it takes to reach people because we believe in this so much. Unless that happens, the vision, it, I'm not crazy. I know 10,000 people in 10 years. I don't know, right? It is going to be a miracle of God. But I believe this. If we're faithful in this, in this one-in-one, God will be faithful to complete the rest of the vision. Yes, God will provide it. He's going to provide it through us. And so this is what I would tell you. You got this on your card. You got this little thing right here. If you fold it back and forth a couple of times, it makes this really easy. It's somewhat of a stress relief because you can just kind of like go, ah, right? And you can tear that thing off and you can take it with you. And it says my one-in-one commitment and and, and what we're wanting you to pray. God, what do you want me to give? I've been praying about this. I haven't really talked it over with Susan because I'm going to ask her, like, what have you been praying about? What are you hearing? Because I'm hearing a lot and I'm hoping you're hearing less. And and, and here's the reality. I know what God's telling me. And I don't even know how we're going to get there. We might have to sell a kid. I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly how we're going to get there. But, but the reality of it is I want to be a, obedient to what God's telling me. And I'm going to pray. And on November 17th, I'm bringing my card back and I'm going to put it in an offering that up here at the front. And I'm going to do everything I can to be obedient, to do what God tells me to do. We're asking you to do the same thing. It's going to take sacrificial giving. If we're going to get there, Take it home, pray about it. God, what do you want me to do? How can I be a part of this? I've seen other people come to know you seeing other hearts transformed by the same grace I've received. God, let me be obedient to do that, trusting you in every way. And so we're going to have to be sacrificial. Verse four says this, entirely on their own. Listen, this is crazy. Seems crazy to us. Paul says that the Macedonians, entirely on their own, they they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. I can honestly say that has never happened to me. I've been told a lot of things after church services. I've never had anybody come up and say, can we pass those buckets one more time? I I love that. I really, please, can can, can I write, I, I wanna write another check. Right. And it just doesn't, it doesn't happen, but the, the grace of God had changed their hearts so much. And they wanted to be in part of the kingdoms uh, work so much. They were giving generously. They were like crazy. Listen to this one. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. let's say that one I would tell you to write down is that. When we experience the grace of God, we want others to experience what we've experienced. So number one, when we experience God's grace, we realize how much God has given and what he's given us. Number two, we want others to experience what we've experienced. And he says that they gave themselves to the Lord. It is a spiritual impossibility to grow closer to Jesus and love people less. It is a spiritual impossibility for Jesus to be our Lord and then to say, but your Lordship stops at my hip pocket or my purse. It's a spiritual impossibility for us not to desire for God to be Lord over all of our lives so that he uses all of our life to reach those people that we now love in a way we've never loved before because of his grace working in us. That's what God does. He begins to change our heart and we begin to see this happen. I told you, listen, that generosity is not dependent upon wealth. Generosity is dependent upon the condition of your heart. We give out of what we have, not what we don't have. For many of us, we need to just take a step towards God, trusting that everything that God desires for us is what's best for us. There are only two ways we can look at it. God tells us to give in scripture and be generous in scripture because he wants to take something from us or God desires for us to give um, and teaches us to to, to give in scripture because God wants something for us. We know from the whole of scripture, God desires something for us. This is the best way to live and God's grace transforms our hearts so that we can receive that and live that out. Um, I was thinking about this week, one of the greatest lessons God gave me about his lordship and about just how our generosity does not determine our wealth is um, early in the church, I mean, we're probably a year and a half old, probably definitely not two years old, I don't think. And, um, and, and, and I came back from working a retreat one weekend and on a Monday morning, I walk into my office and on my desk is an envelope. And the envelope said, um, thank you for sticking to the vision. Keep doing the great work you're doing. Um, we love you. We're with you. You know, it didn't have a name on it. It just, and so I opened it. I took it out. It was a check for $30,000. That makes your Monday a little brighter. You know what I'm saying? Um, And and so I realized like, wow, that is awesome. And one of the most biggest blessings is I was like, this guy believes 30,000 times that this is worth doing, right? I mean, it was awesome blessing. And and then right next to that envelope, I had about 14 um, tubes of rolled pennies and we had gone and done some work for a lady in rocky ford some of you've been here a long time you may have worked on that project we went and and if you talk about poor this lady when it rained it rained in their house the whole perimeter of her roof was rotten and the the perimeter of her floor was beginning to rot it was a state that you would be really people that went out there were amazed that they actually lived there if you rode by today you would say there's no way anybody lives there and we went out we cleaned up the yard we hauled off like Five of those huge construction um, dumpster containers full of debris around their house, full of stuff around their house. We put a new roof on it. We did new rafters. And, and when I got in that morning, I, I came across these like 14, it was 12, 14 rolls of, of, of pennies. And there was a note that said, thank you for what you did. And it was from this lady. And I remember sitting there and I remember looking at the $30,000 check and I remember looking at the pennies. And I remember thinking and hearing the Lord speak to my heart and say, "Don't ever forget that this is just as generous as this." And you know what's awesome? Both of them moved my heart, but this lady took the time to roll the pennies and to come and give. Of what she had. What an awesome testimony. Through her heart for God, through her heart for the kingdom. And what happens when we receive a blessing, we want to bless other people. The next one, look at verse 8. Paul says this, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I want to... Test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. One of the things that grace does is we begin to realize that money and possessions are the tests, not the answers. We begin to realize that we'll never um, be able to find true and lasting joy in our materials, things, in our, in our finances, and what we make, and what we have, um, and that it is all temporary. And we begin to realize that it's a test, it's not the answers, that, that truly finances and how we handle and what we steward or how we steward our money and our possessions is really a test of our heart. It's a very large indicator of where our heart is. It's why every time we talk about it, we get emails about it. It's why every time we talk about it, I probably got a test a Facebook message, or an email on my phone right now that I'll get when I get backstage. But here's the reality of it. The reason that happens is because money is our God. Plain and simple is why that happens is because we can say our lives are devoted to God, but the reality of it is like an investigative reporter tracks the money to find the story. The reality of it is if we track our money, it will point us in the direction of what we worship every time how we handle it, what we do with it. It points directly there as an indicator of a heart. It it asks the question, is Jesus truly Lord of my life? Does his worship stop at my hip pocket? We need to understand that we're not fully committed or not committed until we're financially committed. The Bible is true that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. We need to realize this. And for some of us, it may be a wake-up call. It may indicate and point to the fact that we don't really even know Jesus. Jesus isn't Lord. Maybe we've had an idea of him, but we realize like, wow, my life, I've never really surrendered my life to him. It becomes an indicator of our heart and where it's at. And so as we begin to realize this, we begin to see that it's a test and we begin to see that God wants more for us. We have to come to a place of finally surrendering everything, being willing to sacrifice everything. That's what God leads us to do. I want you to understand, guys, the potential of a generous church. I want you to understand the potential of the foundation that God's laid when it's infused and empowered by generous people and generous believers. There's great potential in it. Right now, um, on an average, on a Sunday morning, we average about $13 per person per Sunday that's given to God and given to the vision and given to the mission. That's not counting one in one. Typically, that's about $1,500 a week that comes in for one-on-one. One. Here's the thing, $13 per person. Here's the, here's, the, here's the other thing that's challenging to me. I would challenge you. $20 per person, $7 a week per person more. That doesn't mean you just ride shit for seven, pray. like you, We need to honor God. But the reality of it is $20 per person each Sunday. We fund one-on-one one because our budget is so Small. we work off of very little compared to other churches our size, we would fund half of one-in-one in, one in two years from our church budget. From our church budget. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Like that, 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 It's just that. It's everybody doing their part, everybody doing something, everybody being generous, everybody's heart being transformed by grace and having a desire for other people to see that. The last one I'll tell you out of verse nine says this for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor now I ask you again did Jesus give was Jesus generous absolutely and the fourth thing i would tell you is that we realize that we can't be like jesus if we aren't generous our purpose in life is to enjoy god to become like christ and to fill the earth with his glory but we have to realize we can't become like christ if we're not generous because jesus is the most generous person who ever walked the face of the earth god was very generous when he gave his son and we too can only become like Christ as our hearts are transformed by grace and we become generous, a generous people. I'll be very honest with you. We're, our church is at a place where we've got to decide some things. We're really at a pinnacle. We're, we're at a place where we have to decide if we're all in or not. We have to decide if Jesus is really Lord and if people are really worth going after and if people are really worth giving everything we have to reach. Because here's the reality. If, if, if not, if we're not willing to sacrifice, we're not willing to say, God, you got all of me, transform my heart and give me a generous heart. If we're not willing to do those things, this is the reality. We can chalk this up to a nice five years. Way to go, God. You did some awesome things. But here's the reality. other side of that, is if we come to a place where we finally say, yeah, I'm all in, I believe this vision, I believe in what God's called us to do, I believe what he's calling us to do, I believe what he's got planned for us in the future, then listen, we become a kingdom force that impacts people for generations. There's one day that I want to walk off of this stage, hopefully not this stage, a stage, just with my last bit of energy having been given to the kingdom and hand this thing off to somebody else and it still be impacting and changing lives. I don't believe it's an option for us just to say, well, it was a good five years. Now let's just settle where we are. There's more that God wants to do. There's more he wants to do. But we've got to allow God to change our hearts, to empower us by his spirit to do what he's called us to do, to live generous lives, to be community focused, to be um, evangelism, um, constantly preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel of Jesus. And to be serving people like crazy, showing them the tangible love of God. College students, listen to me. There's a lot of y'all here. And here's the thing that I found with college students from talking to them and from hearing others who talk to them is this is what we find. Those who are really pursuing God get offended when we say, you get a pass on this. Because this is what they tell us. If we can't be generous at a time in our lives when it seems that we have very little, how will we ever be generous when we have more? Because you can help lead the charge. Your generous hearts transform things. Listen, I had a, a, a young lady call the office and she said, can I speak with you and Susan? I want to give some money to one in one. And, uh, I just want to talk to you and share my story. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, come by. So we, we meet her. She walks in. It's a college student, maybe 21, 22 years old, right? She walks in. She says, "This has been on my heart. I wanted to give you." Hands me an envelope. I'm, I'm like, "That's cool. That's cool." You know, and, and it's kind of an awkward moment because you sit there and you've got the envelope in your hand and you're kind of like, "Do I open it now? Do I not open it now? Do I open it now? Do I not open it now?" And so finally, I just says, "Like, you want me to open this now?" She says, "Sure." I open it up. I'm not very good at math. I'm not very good at numbers. I look at the check and I start counting zeros. I'm like, "One, two, Three, four, five, six, seven, zero. Okay, where's the decimal? Right, okay. Whoa, let me, and I started counting, check for $100,000 from a college student. And she said, the ministry that you guys have done and the way God is using you has impacted my life so much. I want you to be able to do everything that God's put in your heart. That's what happens when grace floods their heart and you could say well she must be very wealthy no some events in her life that gave her the ability to give but you know it was one of those things where i I actually said does your mom know about this and she was like yeah and i was like you sure she said yeah i I was like i'm we're gonna cash this and then we're gonna get beat up by some dude at the church office I, i didn't know what was gonna happen generous hearts, generous hearts. People who say, I want to see others reach with the gospel. I'll end it with this. Did Jesus give generously? Absolutely. He gave up heaven. And he came to earth he gave up his position and took the form of a servant he gave up sinlessness and took our sin he gave up righteousness and took our place on the cross he gave up life and took on death so that we could live Did jesus give generously yes and when his spirit is in us our hearts begin to change and transform to be like his I don't think we'll ever fully realize how much he gave until we spend eternity with him, until we cross out of this life and into our eternal life with him. But we know this, and if you've received him and you walk with him, you know how generously God's poured out his spirit in your heart. And so my challenge is to take your next step. For some of us, it's picking up a treasure um, principle book and reading For some of us, it's doing the budget class next week at nine. For some of us, it's signing up for financial coaching and going through the financial coaching class. For some of us, it's sacrificing. It, may be, it might be getting rid of something so that I can honor God with my money so I can, I can truly say that he is Lord of my life. And I wanna do this because of what he's done in my heart. For some of us, it may be Salvation. And realizing like, my heart ain't there. And the reason it's not there is because I've never allowed Jesus to transform my heart. And so I'm going to pray. And this is what I would like to do. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, then as I pray, I'm going to ask you to meet some of our prayer people. They're going to be over to my left, your right. That's Billy. He's our discipleship pastor. He's a big guy, big teddy bear though. He won't hurt you. But if you don't know him and you want to know him, I'm gonna ask you when I pray, you get up and you walk over and you pray with Billy or Kale or Miss Beth or whoever else is over there. They're gonna take care of you and we're gonna celebrate your life being made new through Christ. Also, if you're here and, and you need prayer for anything, it may not be finances. Listen, this is an indicator of our heart. Maybe right now we realize like I need prayer. I just need somebody to pray with me about whatever it is. And when I pray, you move. You just move and go and let them pray for you. Let us walk through life with you. You Can't do it alone. That's why God puts other believers in our lives. Let us pray for you. When I pray, you move. I'm praying and I'm asking God right now that he would give you courage to take that step and to go to be prayed for, to say, yeah, I want to receive him and his invitation to know him. So let's pray. God, thank you. For today and the opportunity to be here with other believers. God, I pray you'll work in our hearts and in our spirit. God, give us generous hearts through your grace. Give us hearts that desire community through your grace. Give us hearts that desire um, to, to tell people about you um, by, by the power of your grace. God, give us hearts to serve others and be a tangible representation of you to the world. God, um, through your grace. God, it is all your grace. It's not within our ability to do it, God, I pray for those here today who don't know you, but they would say, I need to know him. I need to have my heart transformed. I know I don't know him. I know I'm in my sin. I need forgiveness. I pray that they would move. I pray that they would just go and allow these people to pray with them, to meet with them, to share with them the hope of your glory in Jesus Christ. Lord, just speak to their hearts that they would go. God, for the one who's here and they just need prayer, God, and then maybe it just feels like they're in a storm and, and things are just swirling and things are crazy and there's just confusion in their life. God, I pray that they would go and i like you to pray for them. Um, God, even right now, that they would just move and go and allow us to minister to them. God, I do this by your great grace, the power of who you are, God, that unmerited favor that you've placed in our life. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for being good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.